And this is what the text says. Then God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's commandment one. You shall not make for yourselves an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them nor serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, inflicting the punishment of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing favor to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Commandment three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Commandment four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male slave or your female slave or your cattle or your resident who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and everything that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. For that reason, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Commandment number five, honor your father and your mother so that your days may be prolonged on the land which the Lord your God gives you. Number six, you shall not murder. Commandment seven, you shall not commit adultery. Commandment eight, you shall not steal. Commandment nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And commandment 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male slave or female slave or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20. I want to pray. Abba, Father, I love you and I love your people. Thank you for the difference that they have made in my life. Thank you for what you're going to do this morning. We need you. Oh, Lord, we need you. (laughs) Bless, please. Give us ears to hear. Hearts to believe and trust. Even though there is so much pain. And so many challenges and and the doubts that we fight every day. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. We've got some folks here for the first time. Thank you. I've got a dear friend, Ken. I told him we are a bring your own snake church. And if he doesn't bring his own rattlesnakes, sorry, buddy. Snake handling, not for you. Honored that you're here. Uh, Quentin's parents are here. They're from Branson. They, they have this accent. They're from like Chicago. Chicago. And where's Melissa Cole? Hmm. All right. The Chiefs won. Okay, we're done. Let's move it on. <laughs> moving on, moving on. And, and Travis Kelsey is so stupid. Anyway, anyway, moving on. Not bitter. I am so not bitter. Um, what, is, what is an attitude that we should have over Torah, over the law. Uh, pop quiz, and I need feedback. I get real nervous if nobody, nobody responds to my 
Extremely important questions. How many rules? How many laws are there in Torah? <laughs> and that's just the beginning point. It gets worse. 613. 613 laws. Ooh, James says something really, really harsh. You can keep all 613J, transgress one, and what are you guilty of? All of them. All of them. So if you go the path of being the law keeper, watch out. The price tag is enormous if you break one. So, But I want to read from Psalm 19. I, I remember memorizing much of this when I was a young man. I love Psalm 19. This is, this is what David said about the law. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They're more desirable than gold, yes, than much pure gold, and sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by your laws, your servant is warned by keeping them. There's great reward. Wow, I love Psalm 19. It's beautiful. We're going to dig in. I'm making a commitment this morning. Famous last words. I'm going to say as much as possible in as few words as possible. Are you ready? Let's jump in. What are you going to do with the commandments? When, you, when we, we read those commandments, how do we understand them? I need your feedback. There will be tests. We have interpretation number one. The Ten Commandments are in random order, and each has a standalone kind of value and significance. There's no hierarchy of value, importance, or authority. They're just ten, and they're all presented. That's interpretation one as you approach the Ten Commandments. Number two, the Ten Commandments are intentionally presented in sequential order, and they reveal interrelatedness. Number one naturally flows into number two, flowing into number three, number four. So you get this stringing together in sequential fashion, commitment, uh, commandments and ideas that literally relate to each other. Okay? Or the third, the Ten Commandments are presented with primary and secondary significance and importance. Specifically, commandments one to three are foundational. And hierarchically, that's a hard word to say, hierarchically placed above commands 4 to 10. All right? So here's what it's going to look like. It's going to look something like this. Just straight, 10 commandments, freestanding, there they are. All right? Or it might look something like that. Okay? Now, if you had to make a decision, what would you say? You've got, here's your first high-pressure decision right here. What's the right interpretation? They're just random. They're just Ten Commandments. Or there's something, there's interrelatedness, or three. There's really some hierarchy. What do you think? Your eternal security is on the line, so you really need to make a good answer here. Not number one. You think not number one, okay. (laughs) 
you know how to take a test. Look for what's obviously not the answer. First. You would think, right, that this is not just God just kind of, you know, oh, let me see, what are some good rules here? Oh, I guess, I guess I'll start with number one, like God's just randomly, willy-nilly picking this list. Anybody else? It's, it's three. Who's, who said that, Joe? Anybody with Joe? Three? C is the most common multiple choice. <laughs> <laughs> no By a true professor. It also has more detail, so you know. Yes, yes. <laughs> Stacy, what are the chances that Melissa Cole is listening? Probably not. Probably nothing. She's a Chiefs fan. Okay. <laughs> Melissa was making fun of my accents. I, I, we're going to move past that. I think it's number three. And, and I think so for this reason right here. If you notice, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol and not take my name in vain. Who's that about? God. It's about God. I think those are foundational and hierarchical concepts. We're starting with God. And if you can get that straight, if you can get the, he's God and you're not (laughs) settled, and you can get, if I'm not it and God is, then what about idols? And if you can get all that fixed and you can get that whoever he is and we're learning about him, that his name is so sacred You better not misuse it. If you can get that down, look what just naturally flows right out of it. Because the rest have to do with how you treat people. How you treat yourself and how you treat people. The first three about treating God, Joe. One of the lines of what Christ said. The first three fall under the greatest command, which is to love God. And the second, the last seven, fall under loving your neighbor. Yes, yes. David? It's also a strong reflection of what Satan did. He did not love God. He wanted to be higher than God. There you go. Yes, there you go. That's very, very good. Does that make sense? I think there's something there that we really should note. Now, uh, what I don't want you to do, and if you're watching online, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that that, uh, commandments 4 to 10 are of lesser value and have lesser authority. I'm trying to say there is theologic. There's God's sense and how these things are laid out. Okay. Yeah. Because you violate any one of them, you sin and then you save it. Yes, yes, that is so good. You can't help that there's interrelatedness. Absolutely. Well, absent, absent the first three, those become part of the 613. They're just rules. Yeah. At that point. They have no anchor in God. If they're, not, if they're not fueled by those first three, they just become rules that you follow that have no meaning beyond just your own self worth Yes, yes. And by the way, Justin, I know you know this. If you study the surrounding cultures, they have very similar rules, by the way. So these are not like, oh, my goodness, we've never heard of this before. You know, so there's there's basic concepts that are common to all the religions in the ancient Mediterranean world. So that's so good. All right. So uh, I'm putting an asterisk by by two, three, four, five and ten. And that is because. Those commandments uniquely have details. They have what's called a motive clause. And they have some explanatory information of why that particular commandment is so important. It makes sense. For example, 
uh, honor your father and mother. What's unique about that one is it has a positive detail attached to it. That if you honor your father and mother, what's going to happen, Janice? It gives you this, it gives you health. You're going to live a long life in the land that I'm giving. So it's this positive concept that the ability to honor mom and dad has everything to do with somehow physical health and, and a more prosperous, positive uh, dwelling in the land that God's going to give to us, okay? So it's important to know that. And, and, and God is curiously silent about others. He just says, don't steal. Okay, got it, don't steal. Um, so what about a Christian relationship to the law? Uh, I remember, and I, I'm going to give you a very transparent comment. When I was very young, I had such a love for the Old Testament. I really, really was considering doing maybe a PhD in the Old Testament. I just had a passion for it and a passion for what I believe to be the theologic, the God sense of the law. And, and it was just a driving force in my mind. Um, the Lord had to work me through some things and develop a, a deeper spiritual health in me and understand that I was playing with fire. That if I'm going to, again, if I'm going to do all 613, I better do them all. And I was not aware of just how on the edge I was with legalism. Um, so what's a Christian? Since we're born again, I'm assuming everybody here is born again. If you're not, I will be sharing the gospel at the end. Please listen to that. Um, but let's assume we're all Christians and those online are Christians. Jesus' blood has literally washed away your sins. So what's your relationship? Do we keep the law to be holy and earn access to God? In other words, we keep it to get in. We're on the outside and we've got to keep all the rules. And if we keep them, we, God finds favor and with us and we get to go in. Is that the idea? We keep the law to get in or we keep the law to stay in. Janice, which is interesting because it creates an idea about discipleship. Again, Justin, so important. Are we saved by grace and discipled by law? Ooh. Do you say no thank you? Ah, there you go. So, so we're saved by grace through faith, but are we discipled by law? A lot of tension in that second dynamic. Or are we saved by grace and we're discipled by grace? Well, we don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So there's tension there. And by the way, are there rules in the New Testament? And faith without works is yes. dead. Sure, James chapter 2. Carissa, oh boy, there's a lot of rules in the New Testament. In fact, if you, if you read with a critical eye, some of the rules in the New Testament are far tougher than the, than the laws of the Old Testament. Yeah. All right, what about this interpretation? We study the law to understand the gospel and why we need Jesus. Yes. Can anybody quote the scripture behind that? What does Paul say in Galatians 4? The law is our... Who said tutor? Yes, our tutor, our schoolmaster. In Greek, your pedagogue, who is authorized to have a switch... And the pedagogue's job 
is to switch the back of the kid's legs to make sure they're out of bed, they've got their school supplies. Some of you homeschool moms are going, I want one of those. <laughs> homeschooling would be so good if I had a pedagogue. And can switch that kid's legs, get them to school on time, make sure they honor the teacher, make sure they come home, do their homework. Paul said, that's what the law is like. It switches the backside to motivate us to run to the teacher so that we can understand why we need Jesus because we are not good at law-keeping, are we? Uh, We are not good at law-keeping, are we? (laughs) Boy, did you miss a chance to say amen. I've got to... (laughs) I've got to work with them, Bruce. They're just, they're just. Why did you just call my name? <laughs> <clears throat> oh, you didn't say amen? Uh, by the way, dads, dads who become legal eagles, dads who become real commandment oriented and all that stuff, when their own private lives are not in order, do a lot of damage in their homes. Moms who go legal eagle and all the rules and because they're neurotic with anxiety, so we have to have rules. And what do rules do? They mitigate against chaos. Ah, and if we can stop the chaos, we can bring peace to our homes and mommy feels good about things and we have no idea the damage we do to our kids in the name of Jesus because we can come up with a rule in the Bible. Ooh, super unhealthy. What about number four? We observe the law that is sanctioned and reiterated in the New Testament. Like, for example, one of the commandments is don't lie. Okay, that's the Ten Commandment. We can say, I'm not a Jew. I don't have to keep the rules. So skip that one. No. Does the New Testament say something about lying? Well, of course it does. So if the commandments in the Old Testament are sanctioned and reiterated in the New, is a Christian obligated to keep them? Okay. Boy, did we just turn up the pressure. What about number five? We observe the law in pursuit of God's wisdom, meaning the spirit of the law, not just the letter, but the spirit. The letter kills, the spirit gives life. And we're talking about the attitude and intent of the law and its practical benefits. Uh, What do you think? A Christian's relationship to the law. If you had to say, regarding our interpretational options, which one do you think ones, plural, really gets at our relationship to the law as Christians? Three through five. Three through five, anybody else? I mean, according to Jesus' teaching, five through seven, five really stands out because he actually refers back to the Old Testament law and say, you, the law says, don't do this, but I say, and everything points back to our heart and motive. Yeah. So, Sure, that's so good. If you, when you read the Gospels, there's lots of headbutting and arguing between Jesus and the Sadducees and the Pharisees. These, these, the Pharisees particularly were the ones that were the moral uh, Torah police, and they insisted that you comply with their rules and the rules about the rules about the rules, because in so doing. God's favor would finally be poured out on Israel and Rome would leave. And so the the Pharisees were extremely difficult to get along with. And they would say, the law says, do no work on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, the spirit of the law, yes, don't work on the Sabbath. But the spirit of the law says, do good on the Sabbath. 
So the ethic of doing good on the Sabbath overrides the ethic of do no work on the Sabbath. So Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath and can feed on the Sabbath, heal on the Sabbath, etc. Makes sense? All right, what about this? These are some scriptures about the law and we as Christians, how we relate to it. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. What do you think that he means by all is accomplished? It can mean really, in my mind, my heart, only one thing. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Matthew 22, Joe's already alluded to it. Love the Lord with all your heart, everything about you, mind, will, all of it. And then love your neighbor as yourself because upon those two commandments, the whole law and the prophets hinge. So we do have this hierarchical idea that there's some core laws that set the tone and the direction for everything. Just a few more scriptures. Galatians 2, Paul is emphatic by, by no works of any kind. Works of the law will the flesh be justified. James 2.10, if you, if you keep them all, stumble in one, guilty of all. By the way, if you keep one and stumble in 612, you're still guilty of all. James 4, ooh, this is a tough one. This is the parent who goes legal but has a personal sin struggle. Do not speak against one another, brothers and sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or sister or judges his brother or sister speaks against the law and judges the law. Why? That's a really curious command. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but you become a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you judging your neighbor? Wow. So hard to live with that guy. So hard to live with that gal. So hard to have them as a mom or dad or brother or sister or a pastor. Oh my, talk about dangerous. A goofy pastor that goes all legal on this stuff. Um, It's hard to have church relationships with people that are so bent and so neurotic if they don't have control that they become nigh impossible to get along with. Some of these behaviors are absolutely uh, doctor akin to personality disorders borderline personality disorders, uh, bipolar, and a variety of other things where control becomes of such premium that relationships are destroyed for the sake of control. But this is really specific that a Christian would dare to place themselves above the law and judge the law, judge the rules. James says there's only one person who is in authority to judge the rules, and that's the guy that made the rules, and that is not you. So you better get off that throne. That's very, very powerful. And look at what, uh, we got to do something with a tough, tough decision. When you look at uh, Exodus 20, there's there's a tough, tough commandment about the consequences of sin and and how God handles this. It's, It's commandment number two. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath 
or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them nor serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Let's stop right there for just a second. Quick question. How many of you have heard that you, you are not to make an icon of Jesus? And all the Catholics, Joe, are guilty as the day is long because they have a crucifix and there's an icon or a form of Jesus being crucified. And the stained glass images of God or, or Jesus. This is often the text that is turned to to say, you can't do that. That's an image of God. That is an idol. It's a violation. It's an icon. You can't do that. Anybody here have heard of that? Or, or I'm feeling really kind of out there right now. Oh, so vulnerable. Okay. There you go. And then uh, Velvet Jesus. Who would, who would paint Jesus? How would they do that? Sell it next to your, your Vegas car or something? Um, or it's this. You can't make an image of a miniature calf. A fertility image. Or a fish. Another fertility image. You can't make images of nature. The flora and fauna. The heavens above. The earth. Or what's in the water. Because that is what pagan worship is all about. That's what pagan religions do. They have little icons. They have little statuettes and figurines that they worship. So is Jesus, is, is God prohibiting an image be made of him? Or is he prohibiting that an image be made of what he's created? Because it has everything to do with pagan cultic religion. Which one is it? <laughs> All right, here's how it, here's here's the clue. Worshiping and serving things on earth, beneath the water, on the earth, all these things, heaven above. Does that sound like we're trying to make an image of God? No. We're making an image of what God has created. So this commandment uniquely addresses pagan idol worship. Okay? If you're one of the legal eagles that think when you walk into a home and there's a, a picture of Jesus or a variation of that looks just like the guy on Chosen. <laughs> what are the odds that that would happen? Um, and, and, and you go, ah, that's an idol. Okay. What are you going to do with this stuff? How does God punish? Because it says he's a jealous God. Ooh, God's defining himself. He's jealous. And he inflicts, inflicts punishment of the fathers, the sins of the fathers, onto the children, even up to the third and fourth generation. So, interpretation one, this is just normal curse and judgment stuff. It should be no surprise that this happens. Is that it? Or is it interpretation number two? God is cruel and punishes innocent children for the sins of their parents. In other words, punishing the victim, not the criminal. I am God. I'm a jealous God. And if there's pagan worship going on in your home, I'm going to visit, to use another translation, the iniquity. I'm going to visit the iniquity of that father onto the children, even up to the third and fourth generations. So we're Christians. We go like, ah, yeah, judgment language. Uh, Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. 
Whatever a man sows, he reaps. You sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. You sow to the spirit, you're going to reap life. Is that it? Or a third option. Exodus 25 is not about God, God punishing the innocent for the sins of the guilty. Rather, the phrase visiting iniquity of the fathers on the kids is about the law of consequence. That's all it is. In other words, God will not necessarily protect a child from parental sin and dysfunction. God does not necessarily protect the child. Children may experience poverty because their parents are alcoholics. As such, those parents spend money to feed their addiction instead of buying food to feed the kids. Galatians 6, 7, If you had to make a decision on how to handle this very, very strong detail that God gives in commandment 2, you shall not worship them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, inflicting the punishment of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. Which one is it? <laughs> Anybody else? Yep. Three. Three, three, third and fourth generation. I'm just noticing that could be like the lifetime of a person. <clears throat> I just think about grandchildren, great. <clears throat> yeah. You know, so yeah. somebody lives a life that is an enemy of God, and they have this ongoing effect upon their families, yeah. and that could be part of the. And, yeah, and absolutely, that's three. It's absolutely position three. And again, Janice? God, God thinks generationally. We don't often do that ourselves. We operate yeah. in the here and now for us. Yes. It's about me. It's about my happiness. And that leads to us fulfilling many things that are not, don't fall yeah. within yeah. God's commands. Yeah. And that continues on generationally. Yeah. God is thinking generationally. Yeah, we yeah. We, we have... Can I, this, is, this is going to be really hard. Please listen. Sometimes we have so much dysfunction. We have so many uh, wars that we fight between our mind and uh, between our ears and our minds. And we can do a lot of damage on our kids. We just can. When our, when our children believe that our commitment to religion is greater than their worth when we are complete moral failures ourselves. When our children perceive that our commitment to religion is greater than their worth while we live in complete moral failure, we make a mockery of what faith is all about. And then our own children rebel, our own children abandon God, they abandon us, and then we are so, we are so, have mercy, oh God. We are so disattuned to who we are and the influence we have, and then when our kids won't talk to us and all this junk, and we're going like, what happened? That's so confusing. I thought it was a really great dad. Or I'm the best mom ever. I went through the valley of the shadow of death to give them life. You'd think they'd appreciate me. 
And, and these parents are so disattuned they can't even figure out how hard it is to get along with them. And Janice, the generational suffering and pain that goes, it just, it's horrible. So what God is giving us, Christ Church, he's giving us the big picture that you have tremendous influence. Use it for God with the right heart motives. And it's just, it's beautiful because I want my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren to love Jesus. And I want them to look at me and go, my papa, he gets it. He gets it. He figures it out. He understands what love is about and, and, and about grace. And he doesn't, he's not a control freak. <laughs> Relationships are more important than the rules. All right, let's keep going. I know this is intense. So what about the Christian in relationship to the law? First Peter 1, this is beautiful. Peter, the guy that broke some of the biggest rules ever, Peter says this, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought about to you at the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. As obedient children, hmm, we have a father-son, father-daughter relationship. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Sin destroys. But be like the Holy One who called you and be holy yourselves. Also in all your behaviors because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. What Peter is telling us is that ten, the Ten Commandments reveal the nature and the heart of God. For example, if we understand his heart, we understand that there's no other gods before him. Why would you turn to a fertility calf or some image of a tree? Why would you do that? It makes no sense. He's God. And if he's God and is, by the way, did you catch the first words? God says, look, I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In case you didn't catch that, God is saying, I am full of love. I am full of compassion and mercy. I'm doing my best. I'm doing what it takes to draw you to myself. His heart motives are I want an intimate relationship with you. And now that we have it, you need to understand my heart and what I need from you and what I expect from you. Don't take my name in vain. Quick comment. Sometimes we think it's, we, we think it's a cuss word. Our Western minds, our psychologized minds and the average half-witted pulpit will say things like, don't take the name of God in vain. Don't use God's name as a cuss word. Okay, sure, that's low-hanging fruit. That's easy. But that's not really the essence of the command. The command is this. Don't misuse my name. Don't misuse it as you approach blessings, as you try to avoid a judgment. Don't use it in a manipulative and controlling way. Don't abuse it. It is sacred. It's not just about being angry. Like no condemnation. 
That's not the essence of what it means. It means to treat the name of God as though it is so insignificant and so common that it's kind of like saying my name. It's right at the level of a common name. No, no, this is the sacred name. And by the way, it was revealed. Yahweh, it was revealed. If you're, if you're a devout Jew, you will not even say that name. And even when they're, if you listen to Jews and talk with them, they won't even say it. They'll just say Adonai. Or they'll say Hashim or Elohim, anything. But don't say Yahweh. Don't say that. His name is sacred. That gets at his heart. What about the Sabbath day to keep, you, keep it holy, rest? God is saying, look, I've charged you the command to work. But I'm also charging you the command to rest because that's what I did. And I want you to be like me. You need to know how to rest. Honor your mom and dad. I got to make a quick comment here. Uh, We sometimes, who are raised in, in really, really unhealthy homes with very, very dysfunctional parents, very, very dysfunctional uh, grandparents and there's, and there's deep mental health issues. How do you honor somebody with, with significant mental health issues? Like you've got a BPD dad, which would be unthinkable. A BPD mom is, is horrific. Uh, or there's, there's drug addictions, there's all kinds of stuff. How do you honor that? Or how do you honor a mom and dad that is so disattuned that, that he or she has virtually no regard for your worth and your needs. How do you drink from a dry well? That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, the concept of honoring your mother and, mother and father. Uh, the meaning behind that is very different for children who are raised in abusive homes. All right. Because there, there are many, many scriptures in, in the New Testament where Jesus brings a sword and he separates parents and children and even separates a husband and wife and brothers and sisters. Uh, if you happen to be in that family, I want to talk to you privately about what it means to honor your father and mother. Do not murder, commit adultery, steal, give false witness. That Commandment nine is don't lie. Commandment 10, do not cover, covet, and then this big detail. If I could just admit what I think is going on behind coveting, it would be this. Whatever Whatever it is you have, your stuff and God are not enough. It's not just that, you know, your stuff is bigger and better than my stuff. It's not just material possessions. It's that in coveting the heart motive is that you, be, you believe God is insufficient. God is a negligent dad. He's not an honorable father. He's negligent. And so you constantly covet and cast a wishful eye over everything you don't have. Which by implication means God is not a good, good father. It's who he is. It's who he is. All right. I want to talk about the gospel. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. Paul, in writing about that, reflecting on that, says that God made Jesus, him who knew no sin, to be sin in our behalf.
so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The demands of the law, 613 law, the demands of that, the holiness, the weight of all of that fell on Jesus' shoulders. He committed no sin. He did not break a law. He was absolutely righteous and met the full requirement of the righteousness of God. And because of the heart motive of God, God says, I'm going to transfer all of the righteousness of my son onto you. You know sin. You know it all too well. And you know the depravity and the darkness of where sin can take you. And that you're doing and saying and thinking and acting out on the most unimaginably, unimaginably shameful and evil things with evil heart motives, full of hate. God says, I'm going to take all of that and I'm going to move it away and I'm going to give my son's righteousness on to you. That is an exchange that can barely be understood. So if you put your faith in Jesus, if you repent and believe, you become how righteous? How righteous are you if you're born again? Just as righteous as he is. Just as righteous as Jesus is. Wow. The first sermon Justin Jesus preached uh, takes about five seconds to preach. And here I've been going on for about 40 minutes. After John was taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The good news is that if you accept Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus and believe that he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, and if you repent of your idolatry, your, your self-centeredness, you repent from doing life without him, you turn away, you change your mind, you change your direction, and you literally turn to God and you turn to his son. And you believe that Jesus Christ is the answer to your sin problem and that God raised him from the dead. When you believe that and you confess that with your mouth and you believe that in your heart, you are saved. You are born again. It's not of works, it's of grace. And when that happens, <laughs> you go from being absolutely guilty to being absolutely as righteous as Jesus. There's no magic formula prayer. There's nothing in the scriptures that say you gotta exactly do it this way, but the heart of it is this. You're saying, God Almighty, I have sinned and my guilt and my shame are before me. And I am asking you to forgive me. I am turning away from that lifestyle. I'm turning to you. I am giving you my heart. I'm asking that you put Jesus and his righteousness inside of me. And that you make me new. And you do it with the faith of a child. Just like Precious Dory is leaning in on Andrea, mom. Knowing that Andrea is the epitome of the safe place. You're running to Jesus like a child. You are born again. If you are not born again, John 3, 3, you will not see the kingdom of God. I want to pray over us right now that we would understand the importance of sacred Torah 
of the law and certainly the Ten Commandments, but more than anything, that if you've never known what it means to be born again, you will become a follower of Jesus and receive the gospel. Abba, Father, we thank you. You're kind. You are so good. Thank you for mercy that goes beyond anything we could imagine. I pray that anyone here that does not know you would give themselves to you fully in repentance and faith, believing in your son Jesus, that you raised him from the dead, and that he can literally make us new. Father, we thank you and we love you for each person that's here. We ask now your blessing and we get to worship. We get to sing songs, sacred words set to music that draw us right to your feet. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.